Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Ginny Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Today on the podcast, we have the author, speaker, change agent, and podcast host of Uplifting Impact, Deanna Singh. Deanna wants to live in a world where marginalized communities have power. As an expert social entrepreneur, she is obsessed with making the world a better place. And just by listening to her passion and enthusiasm, you'll want to run out and make your company better. In today's podcast, we talk to Deanna about her upcoming book, Actions Speak Louder a step-by-step guide to becoming an inclusive workplace where you'll find tools on how to create greater inclusion in your interview processes in how you lead your team and in how to build connection as you team anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host Mitch Simon on the West Coast and on the East Coast we have our fabulous co-host Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis who is here to introduce our fabulous guest today. Take it away Ginny. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Man with the perfect radio voice. Today we have Deanna Singh, and we are so excited to have her. She's a business consultant, speaker, podcaster, who's internationally recognized for her work in leadership, diversity, equity, and inclusion. She has her own podcast, Uplifting Impact where she looks at the intersection of leadership, diversity, equity, inclusion, and focuses on solutions and is directed at people who want to break the status quo. She comes to us with an incredible background with a bachelor's from urban studies from Fordham University, a doctorate in law from Georgetown University, a master's from the University of Wisconsin, and then a certificate in diversity, equity, and inclusion from Cornell. And a new book coming out in May that we will chat a little bit about. Welcome, Deanna. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be here with both of you. We'd like to start, as we do with many guests, given the times we're living in. What have you learned in the last two years, and how has it affected your life professionally and personally? So I think one of the big learnings is something we've all had some kind of intersection with it, and that is this desire around connection and the power of connection. I think one of the things we've heard a lot of people talking about is how isolating it was, how we felt so disconnected, how we're not, you know, communicating as much as we did or in the same ways that we did. But I think that what's really fascinating to me is that even despite all of the challenges that we encountered, like all of the things that the pandemic has brought on, we still kept coming back to how can we stay connected? What can we do? It created all kinds of innovative bursts in every different sector you could possibly imagine. And that desire and inability for us to just like not have the power of connection, I think reinforced everything that I see in the world. I spent a lot of time talking about this need and desire for us to build bridges. And I think that that was just 
re-emphasized over and over again in my personal life. Like all of a sudden people who like were anti, you know, doing FaceTime and all of a sudden now they've got all their accounts set up. They know how to push all the buttons. They're ready to go. A lot of clients who I had many conversations before the pandemic about, well, have you ever thought about telecommuting? And they said, no, absolutely not. In our sector, we could never do that. And lo and behold, not only are they doing it now, but they're seeing the benefits of it. So regardless of the fact that we felt and we do have these, you know, moments where we're feeling really isolated, we have pushed in many ways through that and used that as a spark of, of new innovation. Wonderful. It's almost like inclusion. We no longer took it for granted. Yes, absolutely. This need to be able to understand one another. And I think also it's been really fascinating too, is the depth of understanding. I think we also had this sense that like we knew who our coworkers were. We knew what was going on in each other's lives. And then all of a sudden we were in each other's bedrooms, living dining rooms and kitchen tables. And what we thought we knew got really challenged. I think there was also just this deeper level of connection and need for connection. I love that even deeper. Yeah. It's interesting you point out that as we got separated throughout the planet, that we found a need and a desire and many people found ways to go deep, which we didn't do when we were all together. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? It is. I mean, I don't know about you, but I will tell you, especially during the real throes of the pandemic, going to the store and just seeing other people. And you'd go to the store every day or you do these things and you just walk through and all of a sudden it's like, no, I want to take the time to say, hey, how you doing? And you're just seeing these like moments that were just so incredibly beautiful because we wanted, we were desperate for that level of connectivity that we had taken for granted. Totally. Before. I love that story. You're absolutely right. So you have this book, it's coming out in a couple of months, according to the schedule there, and it's called Action Speaks Louder, colon, a step-by-step -step guide to becoming an inclusive workplace. At a high level, why did you write this book? What are the key messages? So I think one of the things that I like to tell people is that in all my work, and it might just be because I work with amazing people, but in all my work, I have never found anybody who I think wakes up in the morning like, I want to create the most exclusive work environment I possibly can. I want to create a space where people don't want to come to and don't want to come back to and don't want to invest their talents. I don't know about you, but like that right, has right. not been my experience. What I have seen though is this deep desire for people to create these incredibly inclusive workplaces where people do want to bring their time and talent and treasure and all of the things, but they don't really know what that means, right? They're not really sure, like, what do I change? What do I do yeah. differently? What do I challenge? What do I keep the same? They're not exactly sure, like, how. So the desire has never been, at least in my experience, the problem. The real challenge has been, what does it look like? And how do I make that really practical? Oh, I love not that. theoretical. I think right. in theory, we don't really come across a lot of resistance. It's just, what does it look like? And, and how can I do it? And can I afford it? And who needs to do it? And do I have the skill set? And so what I really tried hard to do in Action Speak Louder is to think about how do we set up the case? How do we talk about this? Not just as uh, a moral case, but how do we talk about this as a business case? And then even more importantly, what are some steps that we can take right away? What are some things that are tangible? And in the book, you know, I focus on a number of areas, really the ones that we hear most often are places where people find challenges, but also the place where you can have the most impact, right? So we talk about recruiting, hiring, onboarding, performance reviews, retention, mentoring, meetings. My goal was that anybody who picked up the book and read any chapter of the book could find something in it that they could implement right away. 
Oh, I love that. And it is so needed. You're right. Having a pile of diversity books on my shelf that I just keep throwing up there because what do I do tomorrow is the missing piece. So let's get into some of that. You talk about how you feel that DEI does not have to be shameful or intimidating. What are you talking about there? So one of my favorite things to tell people is I love my job. I am really passionate about what I get to do. And I find a lot of joy in having conversations around inclusion, having conversations around equity, having conversations around diversity. But too often, that is not the way that people feel. They feel like it's a scary thing. They feel like it's overwhelming. They feel like it's over their head. They feel kind of intimidated by the conversation. And I think that's really the result of the way that we have set up this conversation, even as children. We can all remember a time where we asked an adult a question about somebody and about a different identity, about something that we saw and somebody said, yes, I can remember it. I was at a grocery store when it happened. Right? We all know what that experience looks like. But instead of having those conversations, there is a way to really effectively have conversations that we can amplify, that actually bring out that joy and, and bring out that opportunity for us to see growth and to see the potential and to see the power impact that we can have as individuals. And so one of the things that we really stress in this work is that everybody has a role to play. To create an inclusive workplace doesn't mean is not tied to your title. It's not tied to your pedigree. It's mm-hmm. not tied to something that somebody's given you permission to do. Everybody has the opportunity to create inclusive spaces. We all have the power to do that. I can do that at the grocery store, like you just said. I can do that in line in the airport. I can do that anywhere I go. It doesn't matter if that is something that is my intention. I can create an inclusive space. So I think that's one of the big things that we try to focus on is how do we bring the joy that already exists in making people feel included? How do we bring that joy and how do we amplify that in the work that we do? And it obviously then goes to the actual practice of the how, because at first it's intimidating Mm because I don't know what to say. I'll have CEOs, and I'm sure you do too, who will say, well, yeah, all right, I want to create the space. Uh, What do I say? Yes. (laughs) Right? It's just way too scary. Well, you talk about three major uh, concepts, and then we'll get into the boots on the ground. You talk about use your privilege, check yourself, and build a bridge. Where are you going with that? So when we talk about use your privilege, one of the things that I really try to stress with people is that everybody has privileges, no matter what your social identity is. And I think a lot of times when we hear about this concept of privilege, it's always connotated with white privilege or male privilege. But I think that privilege exists in all kinds of different capacities, right? We have privilege based on our education, on where we live geographically, on the languages that we speak, the kinds of places we can go to and feel really comfortable, on the jobs that we've had. I mean, There's just all kinds of different things that are part of our packages, right? And in some instances, we can have privileges. And in other instances, the same thing that was a privilege could be actually something that's a challenge for us, right? Mm -hmm. So these are things that are not static. They actually change based on the environments that we're in. So one of the things that I like to talk about is that it's not, do you have privileges? It's yes, we all have privileges. I like to ask a How are you using your privilege? What does that actually look like? So I'll use myself as an example. 
I get the opportunity to have beautiful conversations like this, right? I don't know why, but people are always putting a microphone of some kind or another in front of me. And that is a privilege. It is a privilege to be able to step onto stages, to have interviews, to have conversations, to be asked to write things. That is a real privilege that I know that I have that not everybody has. Number one, that's the first step, understanding that's a privilege, right? Not everybody gets that. But then number two, well, what can I do with it? How could I actually use my privilege? So one of the things that I really try to stress in everything that I do, every time I'm handed a microphone, is thinking about how do I use this microphone to benefit different people from different backgrounds, right? What does that even look like in different contexts? So for example, I talked to probably about 50,000 people, not probably, at least minimally, about 50,000 people a year. It's a lot of people. Yeah. And so that's a lot of different kinds of stages. So whenever I can, one of my favorite things to do is to recommend that the people who are planning an event or planning a conference or planning a summit, that they actually take into consideration, not just asking me, but also thinking about, is there other women of color that you might want to add onto this platform? Or how many other you know women have you asked? Or have you asked anybody from the LGBTQ community? All I have to do is ask the question. Because of the privilege that I have, I can ask that question where maybe they're not thinking about it. Maybe they haven't looked at their roster. Maybe they haven't, you know, thought about other people that are not in their network that they could bring into the conversation to open up the conversation to more thought, more innovation, more creativity. They do it the same way they always done. Exactly. Right. Right. And so for me, that's a very small example. But what I like about that example is that everybody has some kind of a stage, right? And if for you, that might be going to a meeting. When was the last time you thought about, hey, maybe I could invite somebody else to this meeting for me. This would be really good exposure for them to get to hear how these conversations are being had, or maybe they have really amazing ideas. Instead of being the conduit, I could just let them come and talk to themselves, right? Yes. How do I use that power, that privilege in a different kind of way to really elevate others. For me, that question alone can have tremendous repercussions that are positive ones because everybody has the ability to do it. Right. And the one thing I like to put on top of that, with that privilege, you can not only ask powerful questions, you can role model. I just remember some leaders who I did admire in my past who were able to just deal with highly sensitive situation in just a very practical way. Absolutely. You know, someone would say something disturbing and they would say, I really don't see relevance that has on our immediate conversation. What's next on the agenda? And I'd go, wow, <laughs> right? That was beautiful. Absolutely. One of my favorite things, you know, we talk a lot about this idea of what does it mean to model, to lead in this space. And one of the big things that we emphasize is the need to be able to tell your own stories. Some of the most powerful moments that I've had with different organizations or different leaders is when the leadership, right? The C-suite comes out and says, this makes me so uncomfortable. Here's something that I did that I totally messed up on. And here's what I'm learning. And here's where I'm trying to go with that. And it's amazing, right? Because I think we have this assumption that when our leaders say that or do something like that, they show that vulnerability that somehow it's going to make them less powerful. But actually what happens is the exact opposite, right? People are like, I'm so glad you said that because I was also worried about this too. Oh, you are working on this? I thought you just didn't care. Like it changes the dynamic in the conversation. And so it gives permission for the very kind of spaces you are 
recommending. So let's go to that since you are wanting to make the book very practical. Could you give us like your top three practical kinds of things and then also talk a bit to the notion that we're in a virtual world right now. So how do you use that? So I think that there's a couple, it's so hard when anybody says like, tell me your top three. Because I'm like, all right, look, I have a top like 150, right? Like that's what I really want to, to But that's why you. there's a book. That's right. That's right. That's right. But I will tell you a couple of my favorite things. And one thing I'm going to even say before I give you some of my favorite ideas of creating inclusive environments is I want you to notice something. Everything that I'm going to share with you are simple things. I think that's the other thing that we sometimes get lost in is that sometimes people think that there has to be these revolutionary, we scrap everything, we have to change, you know, who we are. I love telling this story, right? I had somebody in the STEM space doing really great international work and they were talking about, you know, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go in this whole social justice bend and this and that. I thought, why? And I said to the leaders, Why? You're not good at that. That is not your skill set. That is not where you're going to have the most influence. As a matter of fact, you're probably setting yourself up for failure. What I need you to do is do what you already do. Just do it better. Do it with a more inclusionary lens. So one of the big things that I like to encourage organizations to do is to think about where are the, let's take the big issue right now. One of the big issues right now is what is going on? How do we make sure that we are not part of this great resignation? Yes. So I like to, you know, encourage leaders to think about, okay, let's think about this as an opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Let's think about what are we doing at various stages in our processes that would invite people to give them the desire to want to stay. Let's use that fear, right? And reprogram it as an opportunity. And so here's a couple of things. Number one, I love to ask leaders, what are you doing during the hiring and retention process that allows for people to think about themselves not as a culture fit, but really as a culture ad. What does that mean, Deanna? What are you talking about there? So simple things that you could do. One is when you're doing the interviewing process, what in your interviewing process are you doing? What are you asking? What are you saying? What are the kinds of opportunities you're giving people that allow for them To not just say, like, I'm repeating back to you what I read on your website or what I think you want to hear. Yes, yes. But instead, I'm repeating back to you and I'm sharing with you the things that I've learned that I could bring to the table. So questions like, hey, so you've gotten to learn a lot about our organization. What could we be doing better? Okay. That's a pretty simple question. It's a great question. Mm -hmm. But when I ask that question, right, that's part of our interviewing process. What could we be doing better? Hey, you just went through the interviewing process. How would you rate us? And what could we do to make our grade better? (laughs) I'm interviewing for your company. Yeah. I'm going to tell you how you could be better. That's right. I love it. Really good question. Yeah. But if I ask that question, right, at the very beginning, I'm setting the tone for we are a continuous improvement organization. Right. And I believe in that. I want to know. (laughs) Right. And I want you to speak up and to know that's part of our culture. That's great. And then when I onboard you, here's another great question. What are you noticing? Like, what could we change? Is there anything that you've learned in your past that you'd want to pilot here? Mm. If I gave you a budget to pilot something, what would you do? Right, right. I think I have a lot of leaders who are like, but then what if they tell me something that I don't want to do? And that's okay. 
Right. We're constantly coming up with ideas. We don't have to move forward with all of them. But if I'm asking the question, then I'm going to learn things about myself that I can't see. Why would I want to bring somebody in the organization to just keep doing the same thing that I'm doing? Yeah. And what are you afraid of? But we are. They are afraid. There's so much fear. And the desire for us to keep things the same actually prevents us from doing the very things that would be our big transformational moments. Mm -hmm. I mean, transformation doesn't happen from just doing the same thing over and over again. No. That's how you get into a rut. It also shows, and I'm sure you speak to this, that these new ideas is a form of inclusion. You don't have to think about it as black, white. The difference is speak up, come up with a new idea. That in of itself is inclusion. Absolutely. So for me, that's just a really important thing because I do think that sometimes, you know, we just get lost in and we want to do these really big things. But I will tell you, a lot of times what we find is that organizations that go right into spaces that are completely outside their scope or that are so big, what ends up happening is they can't sustain it. And they also meet a lot of resistance because people are like, this is completely different. However, if you're doing things and you're like, we're going to add three questions to our interviewing process. Okay, I can do that. We're going to add this check-in, this 30-day check-in where we ask people what they would change or what they were learning or what perspective they can. We're going to add that. That feels doable. It feels sustainable. It feels realistic. And people can see right away the impact that it can have. And then going to your other suggestion of what are you doing differently in meetings? You know, once every six weeks, have a meeting where all you discuss is here's what's working well, and here are things we can improve upon. You role model, boy, let me tell you what went wrong. (laughs) Or what you do is you could even change it up, right? Like one of the things that we do in our organization is I very rarely lead a meeting. So what we do is we change up who gets the opportunity to lead those team meetings. We also have an open agenda, right? So for like our staff meetings, the agenda, everybody knows where they can go for the agenda. They can add things, add questions. Why? Because what it does is it allows for us to really challenge some of those power dynamics that keeps the new person quiet. Right. That keeps the person who's in the hierarchy, not at the quiet, right? Those are the moments like when you can disrupt those moments and create a culture that not only that disruption is considered normal, but it's welcomed and people can expect it. That's yes, when you normal get and expect it. Yes. I love that. Deanna, yeah. I love these ideas, you know, from the get-go when you're interviewing, you actually are demonstrating we are an open, inclusive environment because mm-hmm. we're saying, hey, you give us ideas. And then of course you just mentioned, you know, maybe the person on the first day comes in and you say, you're going to lead the meeting. I'm wondering if there's any other ideas that you have, especially because we are remote and because we always ask this question, many of the high growth companies that we're working with, the majority of the people in the company now never were in an office for that company. What are some other things that you would suggest to demonstrate inclusiveness as well as give people the courage and the confidence to share their opinions, even though they're new around here? So I think one of the big things is making sure that you are creating opportunities for some of those hallway collisions to happen, even in the virtual space. You know, I think that oftentimes when we talk about this idea of inclusion, one of the most powerful things about creating an inclusive environment is that people stay because they feel valued as human beings. And so I think that too often, and we definitely, this is definitely an area where I'm trying to get better as a team. We're having conversations about how to get better. And I think everybody should be because 
we're in it, right? This is our new normal, having some kind of hybrid situation. This is going to be part of it is how do we create those humanizing moments? So at the first five minutes of our meetings, are we like, okay, here's the agenda. Or are we like, hey, so how was your weekend? Like, how are things going? Tell me something about yourself. The book that I'm reading right now, I can't remember the exact title of it, but it's all about creating relationships, right? Like how do we create those spaces? And so I think Mm -hmm. as leaders, one of the things we have to think about is how do we create those moments for collision even in the virtual space? And how do we create those humanizing moments? You know, one of my favorite things, we had a person on our team implemented this. So we had this really intense staff meeting that had to happen at the last hour of the day on Tuesdays. (laughs) And one of the things, I don't know, I feel like every hour, every last hour of the day is always people are trying to get things done, get settled for the next day. And one of the things he did was he's like, we're just going to take 30 seconds. (laughs) Some days he'd be like, we're going to take a minute and everyone's just going to resettle. You know, and if anybody has anything they want to share, we're just going to share. We're just going to take 30 seconds. That would be a fast meeting, right? Yeah. We're going right. to take 30 seconds of quiet. And then if anybody has anything like that's going on that they just want to share. And sometimes it was that's personal. Right. Sometimes it was like professional. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was like a silly joke, a meme that they had seen earlier. Yes. Whatever, you know, and it was just like a moment for us all to be like, wow, we have some really heavy things, big things we have to talk about. But like, let's just for a minute nice. together. Love it. Right. And I started to look forward to that last hour of the day. Like, I'm going to get to see my team. I'm going to see what's going on, get to, you know, hear what, where they're at in the world or what they're doing. It's just, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And so we say like, maybe that's five minutes and you're like, I don't have time for that. But you do. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Right. Cause it's that five minutes will give you a much more productive meeting, but also create that inclusion. Totally true. So when you get called into an organization, can you give an example of, wow, We went in and really added value. This leader, this group, this organization really embraced it. What did they start to do? What was the difference? So I think one of the biggest things that we see, even if there's organizations that say or have experienced some resistance, sometimes active resistance and sometimes passive resistance, is giving people the opportunity for that reflection time and that personalizing time. So what I mean by that is, you know, like I said at the very beginning, everybody can think about the moment where they got shushed. Well, here's another universal experience. Everybody can think about a moment when they got excluded. And you probably don't have to go that far to think about it. But you can also think about a moment where you felt super included, right? Like a moment where you walked into a space. I just had this last week. We're coming back to virtual events and all of that. And I went to a community event that I had gone to for six, seven years in a row. And then pandemic hit two years. We were not together. It took them like 45 minutes to get the noise in this room down because everybody was seeing each other for the first time in years. Do you know how good it felt to like hug people I haven't seen in real life in so long? In real life. And yeah, and hear them (laughs) realize how short or tall people are. I think that's the other big thing, right? We've only met virtually, so I don't know. I have no idea. And and hear about their children and hear about their family, hear about their, you know, things, their plans, their business, just all these things, these moments of being like, I feel included here. Yes. I feel yeah. like I've come to a place where other people know me and I know them and they care about me. So we can all think about what that, oh, I always say boy, like. That just raises the interaction and engagement. Absolutely. Oh. Right. Like I always think about like inclusion is what it feels like to get a hug from somebody you love deeply. Mm-hmm. Let's start every meeting with that. Right. Exactly. A hug. Just hug. think about getting think hugged about right now. 
I mean, you get tingles, right? We know what that feels like. Those are universal experiences. So I think one of the things that we try to really stress is that in these conversations, in these moments, you have to give people the opportunity to start with what they already know. Like it. I like that. that. Yell at people. We make them feel guilty. We tell them what they don't know. We talk. Here's everything you're doing wrong. Here's all the books and all the philosophy and all the right. Like, but we don't give people the opportunity to be like, wait a minute. Yeah, this is how this impacts my day to day. This is how I have grown as a result of somebody making me feel included. This is what it looks like in my context, in my day to day. As soon as people make that connection, yes. that's the first bridge that you have to make. As soon as people make that connection, then the rest of them are much easier to build. And that's where then it becomes easier or at least builds the bridge of helping these leaders build off of what you already know. How do you take that feeling and do more with it? Because that's all we're talking about. How can people get in touch with such a lovely person as yourself and get your book when it comes out? Oh, thank you so much for saying that and for asking the question. So I am on LinkedIn all the time. And what I have found is that my favorite thing to do on LinkedIn is to connect with people. So if you have questions, if there's something we can do to support you or anything like that, by all means, join us on LinkedIn. Our website is upliftingimpact.com. One of the things that we like to do through our website is we have a newsletter. We have all different kinds of ways. Our main goal is to try and share as much information as we can and learn from as many people as we can. So if you're interested in you know asking questions, learning more, you can always go to Uplifting Impact and see what we've got going on there. Right now, we are running some very special promotions in the pre-sale of Action Speak Louder. There's keynotes and workshops and, you know, additional learnings and Ask Me Anything sessions and all kinds of fun stuff. All you have to do is come to our website and you can get all that information there too. Oh, that's wonderful. Mitch. Deanna, this has been just spectacular. I could tell right now that I would just want to sit in a room and listen to you on stage. Back in the days when people used to do that. Remember that? That's right. It felt so good. Just a tremendous personality speaker and human. Really have loved this time together. So thank you, Deanna. We'll look forward to connecting to you in the future. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you to our audience. Thank you to everyone who loves this podcast like we do. Please share this podcast with your friends, with your families, with your colleagues. And we look forward to seeing you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Anywhere.